Let him be crucified, they cried. Why? What's going on with this crowd? The more I thought about it, you know, they had a pretty significant role in getting Jesus crucified. In our other Gospels, we are told that as the crowd was yelling, crucify him, and so on, Pilate was afraid that there was going to be a riot. And so he gave in to their wishes. This was no small crowd. This was not just a half a dozen or a dozen or a couple of dozen people. The Roman guard could have taken care of that, no problem. Paul wouldn't have been worried about just a few people. This was a crowd. This was a fairly good size crowd. Which is interesting in and of itself because remember that Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish leaders, took place at night. And they brought Pilate early in the morning to stand before him. And yeah, there was time for going to Herod and getting back again, but we're still only talking mid-morning or so. Where does all this crowd come from? Most of the people are getting up. They don't know that Jesus has been on trial. They're going about their morning routine. Yet here, before Pilate, is a fairly large crowd of people crying for Jesus' death. And they prevail. They get Pilate to do what they want him to do. Probably this crowd is somewhat biased. Who are the people that knew about the trial? That maybe followed Jesus before Pilate? Probably most of them were at the temple. In other words, it's very possible that a goodly share of this crowd were people who worked at the temple and who were there for this Passover festival. And we know that that, that group of people who worked because of the large crowds that were coming for Passover and all of that, that they had extra workers there. Everybody was called in to help. So that could account for a fairly large amount of this crowd. So the crowd may have been somewhat biased. Biased toward the views of the Jewish leaders. Rather than toward Jesus. We are told that the Jewish leaders convinced the crowd to... Call or to choose Barabbas over Jesus and to have Jesus crucified. And I wondered, how do you do that? How do you convince a whole crowd of people to do something? Well, maybe you just go around and you tell a few key people who tell a few other key people and you get a majority. And that's all you need, really, in a crowd situation, isn't it? Because there's a crowd mentality. You get a few people starting to yell out, crucify him, crucify him, and everybody's looking around, and there's a bunch of people around him yelling, crucify him. So they're going to join in, and they're going to start yelling, crucify him too. And they get caught up in the moment. And pretty soon, 
What started out as a few voices is everybody's voice. And they cry out, crucify him. There may have been some people in that crowd who thought Jesus maybe was innocent. But they sure weren't going to buck the crowd, were they? That would have been dangerous. There may be some people there who didn't even know what was going on, but everybody else was doing it. So they did it too. Crowd mentality. People just want to fit in. Jesus, all we want to do is fit in. And so, you get a crowd of people yelling, crucify him. I can understand that, can't you? We live with that every day in our world, don't we? We live with this crowd mentality idea. We call it peer pressure. We call it worldview. All of these things that tend to want to control our thinking and our actions. We just want to fit in. How many fads of clothing go by because people just want to fit in? We wear what people tell us to wear. We drink what people want us to drink. What is commercials on television? but an attempt to control the way we think and what we do because of that. It's a type of crowd mentality. You know, if you hear it often enough and loud enough, all of a sudden you start believing it, right? Part of what's going on with this crowd and with you and I. Our world has accepted evolution, not as a theory, but as a fact. There's no proving it, but yet we've heard it often enough and loud enough, and it is the only thing that is allowed to be taught in the schools and so on, and so it isn't long, and almost everybody, including most Christians, believe it. I love this phrase, don't you? Well, everybody's doing it. Isn't that this crowd mentality? We just want to fit in. I don't know how many times my kids wanted their curfew changed because everybody's doing it. You know, nobody's going to bed at this time. You know, maybe you had that same kind of experience. We just want to fit in. Today in our world, that's living together. That's divorce. That's so many other things that we live with every day. Why? Is it right? Not according to God's will, but everybody's doing it. So why shouldn't we too? And the crowd mentality takes over. And we begin to see things for the world's way. We begin to get convinced that that's what's right. And suddenly, 
we find ourselves with the choice of doing it the world's way or doing it God's way and we crucify Jesus and we look at this because everybody's doing it. Because that's what we believe now because we've heard it so often. We end up following the world, the sinful world rather than our Savior. And we slowly push him aside until he is crucified to our life. And we don't longer live for him. Sad state of affairs, isn't it? And if we all take a careful look at our lives, we would have to say, every one of us, and that's me included, that at some place, in some aspect of my life, I live with the crowd instead of my Lord. I have failed my God. I have sinned against Jesus. I'm part of the reason he was crucified on that cross. And that's part of what Lent is all about, isn't it? For us to see our sin and its price. And for us, with sorrow of heart, repentant before God, Saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And in our heart, be so thankful that Jesus died for that. So thankful that all of this weakness, this inability of ours to face our sinful world and all of its temptations and teachings, Jesus died for that. So that through faith in him, you and I might have life, eternal life, with him, anyway. What amazing reality. But Lent is also a time as we examine our sin. To look at the opportunity of how can we overcome it? How can we turn back to God? Repentance is returning to God. Turning away from our sin. And as we see this sinful tendency within us to go with the crowd, to let them control our lives rather than God, what can we do about that? How can we change that with God's help by His grace? I think there's two things especially that we can do. One is expect it. Have that attitude that the world is going to do this to us. Understand it. Jesus says we're in the world but not of the world. We're to be different. We're not to fit in. We're to be different than others. How'd you like that for a quick reaction? We're to be different. 
And he says, because we're to be different, the world doesn't understand us any more than the world understood him, and therefore they're going to persecute us. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to try and get us to do it their way. We should expect that. We should look for it. Be ready for it. Be ready to deal with it. So I think one aspect of this is don't just go along with it, but recognize it for what it is. A different of philosophy, a different of faith, a difference of belief, a different worldview. And we should expect to be persecuted, laughed at, ridiculed. Be ready to be different. But we should also be ready to deal with it. In your reading this week, in the Believe series, Giving My Resources. I don't know how many of you use this book, but as I was reading through there, on page 148, under the key application, what difference does this make in the way I live? There are two bullets, and one word in those two bullets jumped out at me. As I was, looking, as I was reading through this and thinking about this sermon, let me read those two bullets to you. We intentionally give a percentage of our financial resources to fuel the purposes of God and His kingdom. And we intentionally make available the material resources God has entrusted to us. Home, car, clothes, tools, food, to fulfill God's purposes in the lives of others. Did you catch the word? We intentionally. To be intentional in our life for Christ. To not go along with the crowd or to be caught up with the crowd as some of those people probably were. To not let the crowd influence us as they did the Jewish leaders. But to live intentionally for our God. To make decisions intentionally about our life that walk with our God. To watch out for those times when the circumstances around us seem to be out of control and to stop and intentionally think, what would God do here? What is God's will? You know, I had a great example of that as a pastor in Kansas with one of my youth in the youth group. They, or he, had wanted to get in with this one group of guys. And he'd been doing everything he could to get in because that was the in group, you know? You understand that kind of thinking? Especially with teenagers? Well, one of the events, one of the circumstances, one of the situations in Ellsworth was the youth cruised Maine got in their cars and drove up and down Main Street. At one end, there was a little island that you could go around, swing around, go back the other way. At the other end, you swung around the block past the bowling alley restaurant. Uh, and in a little town like Ellsworth, that was a big, busy place, you know, the bowling alley restaurant. And at the other end was, they called it the Otta Shop. It was like the 7-Eleven here, 
okay? So you had a meeting place at each end, and they cruised Maine. See who was out, you know, that kind of thing. And he finally got invited to cruise Maine with these guys. He'd made it. He fit in. As he told me the story, he was in the car. And his position was backseat, door behind the driver. That's where he was sitting. There were six guys in the car. Three in the front, three in the back. And that was his position. And they started cruising Maine. And the next thing he knew, the driver pulled out a rolled cigarette, marijuana, lit it up, took that drag, deep breath, put it out, blew it out, handed it to the next guy. Who took the deep breath, blew it out. Who handed it to the next guy? Who took the deep drag and handed it back to the guy behind the co-pilot? This young man in my, from my congregation knew what was coming. He was caught in the circumstance. Was he going to follow the crowd? Was he going to fit in? What was he going to do? I'm proud to say that when he told me that when that cigarette reached him, he took it and handed it up to the driver without taking a drag. And when they stopped at the auto shop, the one end, he got out of the car and he didn't get back in. He intentionally made a decision to follow his faith. We get caught in those kinds of circumstances, don't we? We get caught in those kinds of situations where we can see the temptation coming and we know it's there. And what are we going to do? You know, that's why I think these ten practices that we're looking at here in Believe are so important. Because if we intentionally spend time in prayer, in God's Word if we intentionally try to be single-minded and so on, if we intentionally use our resources and our time and so on for God, if we intentionally live this way, believe this way, be this way, if you want to add the whole of the Believe series into this, how much easier it will be for us to buck the crowd, to not fit in, to be in the world, but not of the world. To be able to let our light shine and be different than the crowd. You and I have a challenge. We live in a sinful world and we are tempted all of the time by that world to fit in, to go along. With God's help, by His grace, living his way, you and I have the opportunity to live for, to witness to our God every day. 
May God strengthen us all to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that in him you may have the power to overcome the world, instead of letting the world overcome and control you. Amen.